Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Boxing is the closest thing we have to gladiatorial warfare. One warrior against another in a battle of skill, wit, determination and sheer brute strength. At times it's easy to forget that this gruelling combat is in fact fair competition, but boxing is cut from another cloth. It's different from other sports. Give me six minutes of your best! Sometimes emotions boil over and blood gets spilled. I have to say, there seems an element of genuine, genuine hate, hate between these two, Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. I just want his WBO title. I, I personally do hate him. I personally do hate him. Hate is a strong word, and it's not nice, but I'll be honest, mate, I f***ing hated him. I hated him. And that's why it was so bad. You want to tell me my face? You want to tell me my face? Right, tell me my face, I'm coming in and tell me my face. The press conference cancelled after the two fighters broke out in a brawl. He's the real hype. I come up the hard way. I didn't yeah, approve myself, boy. You had your time. Let's, let's have some parliamentary procedure here, all right? Have a little pull and a push. If I see him, I'm going to end up giving him a slap. Sit down, Joe. Huh? Sit down quick. Pay through the middle. Sit down quick, Joe. Hey, through this amazing haymaker, and he knocked his teeth out, and I thought we broke his jaw. He grasped me. Derek, put out. No, no, no. He grasped me. I'm not having it. I speak with it less because the work that's been done to my teeth. You can rewind time or some of the build-ups, some of the fights, I'll some do of the worse. situations. I'll do worse. So you regret not doing it enough? Yeah. People want to see animosity, enmity. The sport of boxing is the real deal. You really want to smack him in the face as hard as you can and knock him out. And you don't want the ref to stop the fight because you want to hit him some more. That's bad blood. It was bad blood, man. Rock and roll. I'm former European super bantamweight champion, Spencer Oliver. And over the course of the next hour, I'm going to be taking a look at the nasty side of boxing, when the want to win conquers sportsmanship. Along the way, I'll be picking some of my favourite volatile build-ups, and I'll be joined by a few mates who will give honourable mentions of fights that didn't quite make my list. This is Bad Blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries, a special programme brought to you courtesy of TalkSport.
It took me just 11 fights to win my European crown. I think I hold the record, no big deal. Spencer Oliver, the omen, delivers and becomes Britain's first ever European super bantamweight champion. On the way, I would do anything to give me the edge over my opponent. Bump into me on the street, I'm as polite as the next man. But for me to be successful in the ring, I had to hate that bloke in the opposite corner. But listen, don't just take it from me. Let me take you back to 1985 for a prime example of bad blood. Canning Town's talented Mark Kaler up against Coventry's knockout artist Errol Christie in a gritty middleweight clash set for bonfire night 1985. The pair didn't have a belt between them Kayla, who had previously lost his titles following the disqualification, was known as a bit of a hothead. Oh, oh, he's not heard the bell. Oh! And Sarah has hit his jaw full on the floor when Kaylor hit him after the bell. Kaylor, in his first fight as the British champion, is disqualified for hitting after the bell. And the unfortunate Tony Serda of California is still semi-conscious. Christie, on the other hand, was on a seven-fight winning streak and had only lost once in his career. All those seven fights, by the way, came in a space of 12 months. That's insane. There it is, the automatic decision to Errol Christie. It seems even the Irish supporters are acknowledging that the better man on the night won and uh, even putting their hands together for him. This, though, was much more than just the British title eliminator. Their showdown was taking place against the backdrop of racial tension, riots and hooliganism in sport. Cass Pennant, a notorious West Ham football hooligan, author and actor, remembers Britain at that time. I lived in East London at the time and I always see that time as kind of what I call Sweeney London. Everything was very much like that. So, you know, he's coming off the back of the riots, you know, the Brixton riots and stuff. He'd been under Thatcher a few years. There was a north-south divide, you know, you still had the remnants of the 84 miners strike. So there's a massive north-east-south divide. There's a lot of tension still from them 80s. It was multicultural in terms of subcultures, different fashions from punk to um, football casual, skinhead mod. Sadly, Christie passed away in 2015 at the age of just 53 from cancer. But he explained some of Britain's issues in his book, No Place to Hide. Huge riots had taken place in North London. Tottenham's Broadwater Farm Estate exploded into violence, mainly between local black youths and the police. It seemed as if the riots of 1981 would be replayed in 1985. There was an ugly mood in the country. Christie was a talented young black fighter from Coventry. He boasted a record of 20 wins and just one loss. He was seen as a bit of a golden boy, as close friend and free-weight world champion Duke McKenzie remembers. Big things promised to Veryl Christie, probably the most naturally gifted fighters I've certainly known in my lifetime. Yeah, Errol Christie was like the golden boy of boxing at the time. Kayla, on the other hand, was looking to reclaim that British title he'd previously won from Roy Gums in 1983. Former Commonwealth middleweight champion Michael Watson, who fought on that undercard, remembers Mark Kayla's mentality. With Mark Kayla, he was a man of true animosity, a real gladiator. It was real, real animosity against the two of them. It was the true gladiator's rivalry. Hailing from the East End, Kayla had the football crowd behind him. 
more specifically West Ham. Back then, the club was notorious for its fans' violence and the goading of black players. Former World Cruiserweight champion, Johnny Nelson. Mark Kaler, West Ham boy, he was like the local hero. He was a great, great white hope. He was the guy that said, you know what, he, he, he just represented so much. And Errol Christie, he was like the amateur star. Where everybody expected everything from him. Mark Kaler looked at that and thought, really? This is my turf. This is me. And people know me. That he's, I'm the favourite. Errol Christie's trying to play the media game. And, and Mark Kaler wanted to be that West Ham boy like his mates. And so, therefore, you had two characters clashing. So it's clear that this bout had a subtext of racial tension. But was that the case between these two fighters? Well, let's hear the thoughts of legendary boxing writer Colin Hart and Duke McKenzie. Caleb was your, your West Ham boy. Typical sort of like West Ham boy, you know, didn't want to take any bullshit. There was a few sort of like racial slurs going in from his people. I'm, I know that for a fact. And Christie rose to it and... He sort of played into his hands, really, because Kayler had him in his back pocket. There was a certain amount of bad blood between them leading up to the fight. A lot of people were trying to suggest that what went on between Kayla and Christie was racist. I won't have that because I didn't believe for one minute that Kayla was a racist, and I know Christie wasn't a racist. Just put yourself in Christie's shoes for a second. Can you imagine the prospect of a packed-out Wembley crowd against you? Not for sporting reasons or friendly rivalry, but for the colour of his skin. Sadly, this was all far too familiar for Christie. Throughout my youth, I encountered attitudes to colour, even when I became a successful professional boxer, which would make jaws drop today. To be told, as I was, by a leading voice in the boxing world, that I would have to accept less money on account of my pigmentation would probably shock most boxers today. Back then, it was pretty much par for the course. Younger readers might find it difficult to recognise this strange England, but it seems like barely yesterday to me. It's widely believed that the police in particular did not want this fight to go ahead. Here's Colin Hart. There was big problems over the National Front, who were making a lot of noise at that time. They wanted to ban immigration, all the usual. Racism reared its ugly head where they were concerned, and there was a feeling that National Front supporters would be in Wembley the night they fought and caused a riot. When the fight was announced, the boxing world prepared itself for a judgment day bout. Boxing was on trial. Cass Pennant. The uh, British Medical Association was a banned boxing lobby. It was getting political weight. Questions being asked whether it's racial and stuff was not a good look. But also, they was aware there been, seemed to be a hooligan element Kayla Christie already had an ugly feel to it, but what came next was serious bad blood. There was a lot of bad blood in that fight. Didn't really like to see that because that all kicked off at the press conference. There was a press conference at a place called Stackis, which was a casino. The two fellas were having their pictures taken. Richard Pelham, legendary sports photographer. I was a little whippersnapper of a photographer in them days. We did a head-to-head -head picture and everyone thinks it's over. We were all standing there chatting, not taking much notice, while the photographers were doing their work and then all of a sudden it erupted. I went up to Errol Christie and said, oh, would you mind if I have a portrait of you? And he went, yeah, yeah, no problem, sit on the side of the wall. Next thing, Mark Kayla comes up, he pulls him out of the way. 
He said that's giving him what he wants. It just got really out of hand. Uh, some unsavoury things were said. And they went at each other and they were throwing punches at each other. Kayla threw the first punch without a doubt. Then Errol Christie got on top, he threw one and Kayla nearly dropped in the fountain and I'm still shooting and shooting and shooting. I mean, they didn't like each other, that was for sure. And obviously the two promotional groups didn't like each other. So there was no love lost all around. And they came before the British Boxing Board of Control. Kayla got heavily fined and Christie was fined a lesser amount. Yeah, that was real. Kayla later commented, Back then, I had a quick temper that I'd rather not have had. There was always this spark in my head. Today, I'm embarrassed by it. Errol was a nice guy. There's no way I could behave like that now. Kayla reportedly whispered three words in the ear of Christie. To this day, it's still uncertain exactly what those words were. Here's another excerpt from Christie's book, No Place to Hide. Bending down close to my ear, he muttered three words that instantly made me see red. In the recent interview, he claimed that he called me an ugly b****. Let's just say, what I heard at the time was enough to make me leap from my seat and take a well-deserved swing at him. The photo shoot brawl hit all the front pages and that upped the ante even more. The then Minister of Sport, Richard Tracy MP, urged for this fight to be cancelled. But money talks. A record £82,000 purse was put up as the prize fund. And the date for this clash? Bonfire night. You couldn't get more bang for your buck if you tried. With huge concern around the fight's build-up and boxing's reputation on the line, promoter Terry Lawless came up with quite a unique solution. He hired Cass Pennant, who despite being a black man, led West Ham's inner city firm. Remarkable, given the level of racism in football at the time. Cassie's reputation would ensure that no one stepped out of line and the night ran smoothly. I had people from all parts of the community that I needed, all on a level of respect, to put the word out there. Terry gave me the finances to have all my security in custom-made sweatshirts with words splashed across, keep it cool. We were in Clarendon Blue, so we weren't like the other security. I was told in no certain terms it's... I didn't want the press knowing about this. This contest is a middleweight contest of 12 rounds, three minutes each round. A final eliminator for the British middleweight championship. Fight night was finally here. Wembley had a strong police presence about it, backed up by Cass and the firm. This one had proper needle about it. Richard Pelham remembers the atmosphere that night. You could feel, you know, when it gets hot in an arena, you could feel the vibe. You could see by the police, the police were in the inner ringside. They were on the outer ringside at Wembley as well. Michael Watson. This was very overwhelming, ecstatic, electrifying. I felt, I felt the heat. Here's Johnny Nelson. The atmosphere was ridiculous. You saw bunches of guys, hooligans, in like 800 pound suits. And it's scary because you think, if you guys are hooligans, racist hooligans, but you're dressed like my bank manager, how can you tell the difference between A and B? In my opinion, Marvin Hagler versus Thomas Hearns was the greatest first round of all time. They went toe-to-toe, hammer and tongs, met head-on in the centre of the ring. I tell you what, 
Mark Kayla versus Errol Christie runs it close. A needle fight, a grudge fight, it's plain for all to see. It had all the bonfire night explosion you could ever want, literally, when a firework went off at ringside mid-round one. A firework explodes in the arena. I've seen some real electric fights, but nothing like this. Boom, the old fire bangers and all that going off. Both fighters were put down in the first round. And over goes Christie in the opening 30 seconds. And this time, Kayla goes over. Delayed action, right hand got him. So they've been down once apiece in the opening round. What a start to this fight. In the third, Kayla was put down again. But Kayla came back and finished Christie off in the eighth with a huge right hand. Kayla's got him. He's got him. And this must surely be the end. Eighth round. Christie sprawled all over the floor, clawing his way to the corner. Christie would later write in his autobiography. As my future crumbled before my eyes, I grasped the rope. My entire life struggles ending here, in plain view of my enemies. Cass Pennant was one of the last men to leave the arena that night. And he recalls an image that would stick with him even today. The door was ajar and there was a guy sitting. I didn't know it was. I'm looking for my shirts and I could see it was Chris to the fight. And I looked at the time, I thought, no one's here. Everyone had gone. The trainers, the management, everyone had gone. It's just a poignant moment where you just realise, as a fan, what goes into boxing with these, with these two warriors. I can still picture that moment where a fighter's left on his own with his own thoughts and nobody. Interestingly, after the fight, both guys embraced and shared respect. Christie laid flat and Kayla goes over and has a quiet word with Christie. All is forgiven, all the animosity, all the needle, all the grudge has gone out of these two men after that memorable battle to the finish. Boxing's the ultimate gladiatorial sport. And what I'm saying is, me and you hate each other. If we got in the ring and knocked the life out of each other, we would gain that respect through that bit of competition. That's how strong it is. The history of boxing's bad blood is so rich, it's almost impossible to highlight them all. But there are some we just can't leave out. Here's the first of our honourable mentions. I'm Gareth Davis, Fight Night presenter and boxing correspondent for the Daily Telegraph. My bad blood fight, and I'm going international, I'm going America. November 1996, Evander Holyfield beat Mike Tyson by TKO in the 11th round. But it's the second fight that really caused the bad blood. Seven months later for the WBA title, it's the infamous bite fight. Tyson biting a chunk out of Holyfield's ear and Iron Mike being disqualified by Mills Lane. What a grudge between the two men in that second fight. Up next, Del Boy, Derek Jezora, and the haymaker, David Hay, takes centre stage. This is Bad Blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries on TalkSport. Nothing is illegal here. I don't think it causes a problem. It was the Boxing Board of Control's decision. He said he was going to come down and give me two slaps and break my jaw. He got in my face and ended up on the floor. The more you keep talking, the more you get me upset. And the more I get upset, the more I jump over this thing right now. And get knocked out again, eh? Yeah? We've, we've done, we played that game before and you lost. Can't you remember? He Can I tell you a little around. story? He glassed me! He glassed me! He glassed me! Obviously, he didn't learn his lesson in Germany. I've got to do it officially in front of everybody. Without cameras 
around, no tripods, no bottles. It's the biggest fight involving two British boxers this century. 14th of July here at West Ham. This place is going to be absolutely jumping. Welcome back to Bad Blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries. A talk sport special with me, Spencer Oliver, former European super bantamweight champion. So you've already heard how Kayla and Christie fought it out on the cobbles. Now it's time for a heavyweight clash. Build as licensed to thrill. It's Jezora, Derek Jezora, versus Hay, David Hay. It was a real grudge match set for the 14th of July 2012 at the home of the Hammers, Upton Park, the bowling ground. Now both of these fighters had a history of causing controversy in a build-up to a fight. On one side, you had the haymaker, David Hay. Shut your mouth, make in me shape, shut my mouth. Get to the fight and make it. Do it with your That's fist. Turn it. up and fight like a man. A hard-hitting Bermondsey boy and two-weight world champion having conquered the cruiserweight division on his way to heavyweight glory. In the other corner, you had Del Boy, later known as War, Mr. Derek Jezora. I am the baddest man. Del Boy fought out of our Finchley ABT gym, my dad's gym. So we've got a lot of history with Derek. We know how he ticks, we know how he works. The bad blood between Derek Jezora and David Hay was that they both like to be centre of attention. They both like the limelight. With Derek and David, they were a clash of styles. They both wanted to be centre stage. They both wanted to be the ones. And that's where the problem lies. But hold on, let's rewind a little bit. The hostilities had started five months earlier for this one in a press conference in Munich. 18th of February, 2012. Jezora had just been beaten by a unanimous decision to WBC heavyweight champion Vitaly Klitschko. And let me tell you, that one had all the bad blood you could ever want. Here's TalkSport's Fight Night presenter, Gareth A. Davis. Well, it was a weird week with Derek Chisora against Vitaly Klitschko in, in, in Munich. Derek had slapped Vitaly Klitschko at the weigh-in. Don Charles, Chisora's trainer at the time, picks up the story. I'm standing behind him. It's a proper full-blown slap. Even Klitschko himself, if you watch the footage, he was in shock. It's like it took him a couple of seconds to react. It was a horrible slap. That I could never, ever, ever explain to you why he would have done that because that up till today i'm still shocked what it's almost of, of somebody who's suffering from Tourette's if you ask me and he was in one of his difficult moods it was a different Derek Chisora back in those days you didn't know what mood he was going to turn up in and i can remember as well in the ring sitting ringside watching him take some water in his mouth as as Vitaly and he faced off before the fight started where he spat water in the face of Vladimir Klitschko. I've given Derek water. One thing dawned on me, he drank a bit more. <laughs> it took a bit more than usual. I thought, bloody hell, he was really thirsty. He started walking over to where Klitschko's corner when they were being announced. What happened next, the whole world saw. Vladimir does not look amused, and I think the reason is that some of the water which Chisora was drinking may well have... Uh somehow wound up on the face of Vladimir Klitschko. Well, right up to the start of this fight, Chisora is just seen to be trying to pull every conceivable stroke to get under the skin of the Klitschkos. He spat the water slowly in Vladimir's face. Boxing promoter 
Frank Warren. There's a lot of shenanigans going on before the fight between Klitschko's and Derek. Some unsavoury stuff went down. And I thought Derek give Klitschko probably the toughest fight he'd had since he fought Lennox Lewis. After the fight, an angry, dejected and beaten Derek Jazora addressed the media at the post-fight press conference. What unfolded next would go down in boxing history. We were sitting there and David came in and he started calling out Klitschko and Derek was getting completely annoyed about that. Derek Jazora. I'm sitting on a podium with Frank, Klitschko, everybody. And then uh, David started talking. David, me and you were getting on in London, be quiet. You know, first of all, you know, David David is embarrassment. Gareth A. Davis. He told Hay to shut up and it was his moment. And you could hear his chair screech back. And then I was like, oh, that's my next fight. Right there, right there and there. That was it. You want to tell me my face? Tell me my face. I'm coming there and tell me my face. Next minute I look around and Derek's off the table, marching down towards David. Richard Pelham, legendary sports photographer. I was literally next to Hay. He had this bottle in his hand and I actually said to Hay, give me the bottle, give me the bottle. Don Charles. He put the microphone to David Hay, said, basically said that all that insult, said it to my face. To our surprise, David Hay just lashed out and chinned Derek, tremendous punch, bam. And then it all kicked off. Punches were thrown, pandemonium and mayhem in the press room. I stepped over Derek to confront David Hay. Why, are you, what are you doing? I shouted out, what are you doing? To my surprise, he checked me with a horrible, vicious left hook. He did catch him, and the, all you heard was he's glass me, he's glass me, but he didn't glass him. He didn't. The bottle didn't break. He Up to like 18 months ago, I was still having not surgery as such. I speak with a, a list because the work that's been done to my teeth reconfigured my whole arrangement of my teeth. I wasn't born with a list. German authorities sought both Hay and Gisora following those ugly scenes. Del Boy was arrested the next day at Munich Airport. Frank Warren and Gareth A. Davis. After the scrap, the police came. We all went back to the hotel and David Hay couldn't be found and Derek Gisora, early in the morning, I know was kind of interviewed by the German police and then released. Derek, the police came and got him and uh, David had slipped out the country overnight. Both boxers later released formal statements about the incident. Jazora wholeheartedly apologised for his involvement. David Hay didn't. Don Charles. It was a horrible, horrible moment for everybody concerned. As I speak to it, I'm still very upset because I'm reliving it. Yeah, it's, mm. I'm very upset from it. Again, him being him, he's never, ever, ever, he's had plenty of opportunity to apologise to me because I wasn't fighting you, dude. I'm not a fighter, I'm a coach. That incident in Munich gave birth to Derek Chisora, then eventually fighting David Hay. Frank Warren. At that time, I think David's licence had expired with the Boxing Board of Control. We were quite interested in making the fight. In the interim period, the British Boxing Board of Control called Chisora to explain his actions. They couldn't call David Hay because he was unlicensed. And he appeared before them and they had a hearing, which I attended with his lawyer. I mean, they made their mind up before... The hearing, what they were going to do, it was just a dreadful hearing. Derek got his licence withdrawn. They didn't suspend him, they just withdrew his licence. I said, in that, if you're spending, he can fight in another jurisdiction. And they said he can do what he likes. So we thought about it for a while and uh, we decided that we'd let him settle it in the ring. Border control wouldn't licence it, so we got Luxembourg Boxing Council to licence it and uh, 
we went ahead and done the fight in London. 30,000 tickets were sold overall, filling the bowling and surpassing the attendance for Lennox Lewis versus Frank Bruno in 1993. What is it about humans and the way we're wired up? People just love bad blood. Gareth A. Davis. Noise and hype and grudge always sells a fight, makes it bigger, makes people come and watch it. If you scream fight, fight, fight in a playground, everybody runs to that corner to watch the fight. They rubberneck, and that's what happens when you have two guys that really don't like each other. People want to see animosity, enmity. It's something that has always sold fights. Such was the hostility surrounding the fight, the two fighters had to be separated at the weigh-in by a metal fence. Was it a genuine fear for further unjust violence or just a publicity stunt? Frank Warren and Derek Jezora. That fence was nothing. It was just, just sort of a show-off. All to sell the fight. Yeah. I decided to do it for publicity, but also just in case. Put the fence there because I thought it'd be a good marketing tool for us and it did work. I mean, it's in all the newspapers, all over the TV and so forth. So we certainly got our mileage out of that. And as far as the pops is concerned, it kept them away from each other. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to Upton Park, London, England. This is License to Thrill. The fight started slowly, but heated up at the end of the third round when Jazora caught Hay with a fierce left hook after the bell had already gone. Trust me, something that would have really wound me up, but it didn't seem to bother David. He just laughed it off. Look at this, good job from Chisora. All up to the bell, John, we didn't even hear it. Gone. You couldn't hear it, absolute bedlam. Towards the end of the fifth, Hay connected with a barrage of punches, knocking Chisora to the floor. Oh, big left oh, hand and right. Tremendous shot from Hay. Left hook, right hand, and Chisora down in the fifth. Chisora beat the count, only to get put down again. But this time, referee Lewis Pabon stepped in and awarded Hay the KO victory. Gareth A. Davis remembers the fight. What we saw was two guys really going at each other when David Hay really was at his best with that incredible fifth round knockout of Derek Chisora. It seems Bad Blood does indeed sell fights, but is it always as genuine as it seems? Here's another man that knows Bad Blood, former super middleweight world champion, the Cobra, Cole Froch. You know when the fake ones, you know David Hay and Tony Bellew kicking Toblerones at the ringside at each other and slagging each other off and calling them SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, there was a bit of dislike with each other, but I think by that time, after the after me and Groves had done Wembley, I think people realised, oh, hang on a minute, we can, pay-per-view's now back, but we can really sell this. Richard Pelham. Some of it is a hype to uh, sell tickets and probably pay-per-view. I remember David Hay versus... Uh, Tony Bellew, three days before the fight, you don't know how ticket sales are going, you don't know how pay-per-view is going, you don't know who's told to throw the first push, but all the security, they're all ready for it. Tony Bellew, former WBC Cruiserweight World Champion. I never had any real hate towards David at the start of it. In the build-up, I just knew that fighting David would generate huge amounts of money. That's why I'd done it at first. It only got personal once he mentioned my family. Tony Bellew, another man quite partial to a bit of a ding-dong. He had his own bad blood chronicle with David Hay after completing the cruiserweight division and moving up to heavyweight. David was always a target for me, always was. He had the target on his head here for me. He had a big pound sign on it also, which made sense. And the minute I became world champion, he was always my primary goal. The pair met in the ring twice, once in 2017 and again in 2018. 
The result was the same in both. Bomabellu came away with two technical knockout victories. To me, David was someone who I knew I could beat 100%. This is why I took the first fight. I knew I had, it had no rematch close, so I knew I'd get me worth in the rematch. Well, if that weren't enough, time now for another honourable mention from one of my mates. I'm TalkSport 2 Fight Night Extra presenter Adi Oladipo and my favourite bad blood fight is actually not even a fight. Stick with me on this one. Larry Holmes is trying to make a comeback. He has a fight. He wins that fight. In the post-fight press conference, look who's there, Trevor Burbick. Larry Holmes proceeds to make his way to his hotel room. Trevor Burbick stays and he is going at Larry Holmes. It's like Larry Holmes runs down from his hotel suite, sees Trevor Burbick in the lobby. They start going at each other. (laughs) What does Larry Holmes do? Drop kicks, Trevor Burbick, they go at it a bit more. Did they fight again? No, they didn't. It didn't happen, but my number one bad blood is between Trevor Burbick and Larry Holmes. Bad blood attracted 80,000 fans for our next one. It's the Cobra, Cole Frotch, against the Saint, George Groves at Wembley. This is bad blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries on Talk Sport. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A grudge match, a super, super middleweight encounter. It's almost here. The talking is nearly over, but luckily enough, not quite yet. I'm going to come out, I'm going to meet you. Center of the ring, first round. And I'm going to hit you with two right hands. It's Saint George Groves! Just two. Just to let you know, whenever I want, I can hit you with a right hand. Oh, hold up. Hold up. Oh. Hold up. Eddie, have a word with your boy. Right, right. talking to you, sweetheart. It's the Cobra! Cow! He's going to come to the centre of the ring and he's going to hit me with two, was it two right hands. So the first one, the first one's not going to do any damage. So he's going to hit with another one. I'm going to sit there and let him do that. Stupendous again from George Grove. 
Welcome back to Bad Blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries on Talk Sport with me, former European super bantamweight champion, Spencer Oliver. We've heard how Bad Blood can ramp up the interest of a fight, but 80,000 people at Wembley, now we're talking. Wembley Stadium, in front of 80,000 fans. 80,000 at Wembley Stadium. In front of 80,000 at National Stadium. Wembley Stadium fights don't happen that often. I box there, I don't know if you know. All right, Frotchy, give it a rest, son. Cole the Cobra Frotch there, who had two contests with St. George Groves. Nottingham's Frotch was WBA and IBF super middleweight champion. And let me tell you, he was tough as old boots. Groves, on the other hand, well, he was a cheeky West London boy with a ferocious jab. They say styles make fights. Well, personalities make bad blood. Former world cruiserweight champion Johnny Nelson was around the pair in the build-up to both fights. You can always tell when fighters are affronting it, you know, just trying to sell tickets. And you can tell when fighters really don't like each other. And and I'd never seen that kind of dislike of two fighters from when Nigel Benn and Chris Eubank. And then after that, in front of my very eyes, seeing it unfold, it was mad. I thought, uh-oh. Here's Talk Sports Fight Night presenter, Gareth A. Davis. Carl Frotch believed that George Groves wasn't at his level. He was the younger fighter coming through. And, and Carl Frotch had been on an incredible run against brilliant world champions and contenders against him. Mikkel Kessler, Jermaine Taylor, Andre Ward and others. He, he really had been at the top of sport for a very, very long time. Once Groves became the mandatory contender for the IBF title, the two fighters engaged in an intense war of words. Hate is a strong word and it's, it's, it's not nice, but I'll be honest, mate, I, I fucking hated him. I hated him. And that's why it was so bad. And it was real, yes, because you could see it was real. I would always try and remain as detached from my opponent as possible. George Grove, the obnoxious fucking idiot. It was actually an old coach of mine, Adam Booth, who said, take the good and the bad and you bury it. I want to punch holes in the back of his I want to knock his teeth down his throat. That's what I want to do. I'd love to say that I didn't hate him. I can honestly say I hated him. Like, I hated him with, with Avengers, and that went on for years. I wanted to swallow his teeth. Matchroom promoter Eddie Hearn officially announced the event to take place on the 23rd of November at the Manchester Arena. It was suitably dubbed the Battle of Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, this great city of Manchester, and a very special welcome to our viewers joining us around the world. The waiting's over! Here we go! The fight itself let no one down. Groves surprised many by charging at Frotch in the first round, and he even put the Cobra down for only the second time in his career, having landed a massive right hand. Johnny Nelson. George got him to that stage where Carl just had pure disdain for him. So when it came to that first fight and Carl got put down, it was only because of his championship heart, mentality and, and experience that managed to turn it round. In round nine, a barrage of punches from Frotch put Groves on unsteady legs and the referee Howard Foster stepped in and stopped the fight. It was seen as a hugely controversial ending to an exciting fight. Here's George Groves. Howard Foster has a brain fart and just jumps in and stops a fight for no reason whatsoever. Gareth A. Davis. Groves 
felt that enmity and animosity towards Froch and felt like he'd been stopped early in that first fight by Howard Foster and he wanted to go on. I don't agree. I think Froch had his number by the end of the fight. There's usually a respect after you've had it out with an opponent, not this one. He's George Groves. I feel like the world's against me. Turns out it's not just the world, it's just the world and, and Howard Foster as well. So, uh, But then all of a sudden, in terms of rivalry, it definitely kicks it up a notch or two because um, now Carl actually has taken Sank away from me. Up until before that first bell, he was just someone who's going to stumble along my path. But now he's a definite rival. With Groves' team still fuming from the decision, the rematch... Unfinished Business was announced for the 31st of May 2014 at Wembley Stadium. It would be the first boxing event to be held at Wembley since Frank Bruno dethroned the ball Oliver McCall of his WBC World Heavyweight crown on that famous night in 1995. Frotch and Grove started where they left off and kept hostilities to a maximum in the build-up to the rematch. Johnny Nelson remembers one particular moment. When the gloves are off, it's got to a point where it's, it's, it's iconic. There's been some mad gloves are off series, but that was the original. Would you like to shake my hand? I'd love to shake your hand. You'd love to. Seeing it unfold. And you look at my face when Carl pulled him over the table and said, because I'm pushing the pull, I'm like, what? It's a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, pleasure to you too, mate. How you doing? We can, all, we, can all, we can all pull about a little bit. Do you want to pull about? Have a little pull and a push. It's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that tells you so, so much. And if you knew half the things that were happening behind the scenes, what George was saying to, to, uh, to, uh, to Carl's team and to Carl's mom, what Carl's brother was saying to George's team and George's mom, those two bumping into each other, you knew what real bad blood was. That moment is still remembered today and highlighted the bitterness between the two. But for me, it raises a bigger question. How much of an effect does bad blood have on the performance of a fighter? Let's hear from both fighters, George Groves, but first, Cole Froch. Do you know what? I think it was a hindrance to dislike my opponent. A proper needle match against a side opponent that's a fair match. Like me and Groves were a fair match, let's be honest. Both good fighters. I really disliked him in the first fight and I wanted to knock him sparker. I wanted to do some damage. It was a hindrance for me. The anger, trying to fight on that emotion, anger, it's no good. It slows your punches down. It means you're tensing up. Your game plan's too aggressive from the start. It makes you force things. It makes you get a bit over-eager. He definitely came off worse in that respect that he really let it get to him. I suppose I tried to take comfort in trying to get under his skin and when it felt like that was happening, that was comforting to me it felt like you know i'm winning <laughs> johnny nelson without a doubt fights can be won and lost before you've actually got in the ring george groves got into carl's head george was annoying he was undermining he kept calling him frotch instead of carl he was disrespectful he was just a, a gnat and he did it purposely because if you can get a fighter to hate you then what happens is he doesn't respect you and so when he doesn't respect you Therefore, he, re he doesn't respect what he has to do to beat you. And here's boxing promoter Frank Warren giving us an example of how someone can be beaten before they get in the ring. It can happen. And you get and, and some fighters like Mike Tyson, they desperately try to intimidate their opponents. You know, they try to really be like tough street guys. And it works sometimes. It works a lot of times with Mike Tyson. His multiple world champion and former opponent of Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., like, uh, he is the perfect example of bad blood because 
he said things and meant things that he said about people before fights that you wouldn't believe that a person would even think. Frotch and Groves drew a then record of 80,000 fans to Wembley Stadium. Why? Bad blood, that's why. Let's hear from a few fans who went. Here's EastEnders actor, Jake Wood. I think the seeds for how big that fight got were planted in the first fight between them when it got stopped controversially early. So, yeah, obviously a lot of people wanted to see the second fight. And former England striker, Darren Bent. The way them two kind of acted between the first and the second fight made me be so invested in, in this fight and I had to be there, had to get a ticket. I remember getting there really early to watch the undercard. I mean, I remember Anthony Joshua being on the undercard as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen from Wembley Stadium, the rematch the world has been waiting for. Will it be validation? Will it be revenge? Grove started well, landing that trademark jab. But then, in round eight, a huge frotch right hook landed flush on George Groves' chin and put the Londoner down. Digs in deep, sucks it up, and gets it! There was no controversy this time as the ref waved the contest off. The fight grossed an incredible £22 million and was named the event of the year by Ring magazine. So we've established the bad blood cells. I mean, you've only got to look at Wembley that night, Frotch Groves, 80,000 people. But what's actually behind the thinking of these fighters? In that moment of madness, they're not thinking pay-per-view sales. They can't be. What's actually going through the mind of these gladiators when they cause confrontation? Why do they do it? Tony Bellew. You get boxers that are emotional, in emotional messes as it is, with the training that they do, what they put the body through, taking time away from the families. Then you've got to stand in front of a guy who wants to do your damage. And here's heavyweight contender, Derek Chisora. When I see red, I, I don't really care about anything else, to be honest with you. You know, my motto is like, I'm in it now. This is it. Don't care about anything else. Let's go with it. And the outcome is afterwards, I'll just say, either I say I'm sorry or I'll do my jail sentence. That's it. Former middleweight champion, Michael the Force Watson. It could be down to a lifestyle, whether it's a lifestyle. Some go through a lot of hardships in, in their lives. You don't know what the individual they've been through. That could have a serious effect on the, men, on the mental aspect. Blimey, we've covered loads there. Time now for another honourable mention from one of my mates. I'm Andy Clark, Talk Sports Boxing Commentator, and when I think about bad blood fights, I think about two men and their trilogy. And those two men are Marco Antonio Barrera and Eric Morales, two Mexican warriors who absolutely detested each other. And off the back of that, they gave us 36 rounds, fueled by that mutual loathing. And it produced a spectacle that I don't think we've seen before and I don't think we will see again. Morales won the first on split decision, Barrera the second by unanimous decision, and Barrera again in the third fight by majority decision. They're actually good friends these days, but back in the day, they hated each other. Shortly, it's the one you've all been waiting for. It's Chris Eubank versus Nigel Benn, an absolute classic. And it's right here on Bad Blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries on TalkSport. Hello, good evening to you. It really is a very special occasion here at the NEC. 
Personally, I've never known opinions so sharply divided about a world title fight. You know I can take your boy. You're petrified, and I know you are. Your boy's mine. It's done. Some of you are going for Nigel Ben because of his punching power. Ben, a man with a dynamite in his fist, really, the reigning champion. Chris Eubank, the challenger from Brighton down there on the south coast, a very different type of personality. As a person, I don't like the way he conducts himself. You are mine. You belong to me. I am the man. We are proud to present the main attraction of the evening. Welcome back to Bad Blood. Boxing's most fierce rivalries with me, Spencer Oliver, right here on Talk Sport. In the last section, we heard how personalities can clash to create bad blood and sell fights. But you couldn't really get two more different people than those involved in our next battle. Salt and pepper, chalk and cheese, yin and yang, so brilliantly opposite, they have to be paired together. The Dark Destroyer, Nigel Ben versus Simply the Best. Chris Eubank Sr. He's all hype, you know, and I, I can't wait to give him a good, good hiding. He's the real hype. I come up the hard way. I've been yeah, proof myself, boy. You had your time. Let's, let's have some parliamentary procedure here, all right? The public is demanding this. You know, I walk down the street, people say, hey, give this boy a hiding. I have nothing to say to Nigel. I find the man uh, intolerable in that he's so wild. I have no time for such people. He has no class as far as I see it. I personally do hate him. Here's the force, former middleweight champion, Michael Watson. Nigel and Chris. I mean, with Chris, a lot of people dislike Chris Eubank because, because of his attitude. He's not real. He's living in a fantasy land. He should come down to earth like everybody else on this earth. Not Nigel, he the realist. Reese Banks, not not the same, unfortunately. Talk Sports boxing commentator Andy Clark. The friction between them was just so intense. I think the main reason is because they were just so different. Eubank was different to everyone. And he rubbed Ben up the wrong way. He rubbed most people up the wrong way, but particularly Nigel Ben. And he's the entertainer, Johnny Nelson. Chris was very good at getting under Nigel's skin, just being Chris. Chris, off camera, he'll wear a rugged little track suit. He'll, he's just a bit, he's a, he was a shoplifter. And so Nigel's like, you are no different than me. In fact, I'm better than you. And you're making out as though you were born with a plum in your mouth and you, you walk about in jodhpurs and, and a monocle. And that wound Nigel up. Ben won his first 22 consecutive bouts by knockout. Hence his nickname, The Dark Destroyer. Let me take you to a place I know you want to go. It's a good life. He was ex-forces. He didn't mess about. Let's hear from the Dark Destroyer himself, Nigel Ben. I'm not one of these guys. Oh, oh, please. Uh, okay, I'll take. No, I'm I'm world champion, mate. I'm not I'm not scared of any man. And at that time, I I had my attitude. I, I didn't need revving up at all. So <laughs> I was already psyched for that fight. I wasn't scared of fighting anybody. Absolutely nobody at all. I had no fear whatsoever. In the other corner, Eubank was cocky flamboyant, a showman, and had been calling out Ben from early in his career. He's simply the best, Chris Eubank. I'm going to beat you, man, and when I beat him, I'm not looking to just win his fan base by the way I destroy him. I'm looking to win the respect and the love of his mother and his father. His former freeweight world champion, Duke McKenzie. Their fight was, was very personal. It was very genuine. 
it captured the public's imagination because you had Eubank, who was this flamboyant, young, black guy, well-dressed, well-groomed, very, very arrogant. And you had Nigel Benn, who was, I call Nigel Benn the ultimate sort of road warrior because he could go anywhere, fight anywhere for anything. He was just that kind of a guy. The animosity that existed between those two was very, very genuine. Both Ben and Eubank fought at middleweight and super middleweight around the same time in the 80s and 90s. Talk Sports Fight Night presenter, Gareth A. Davis. I think the benchmark for rivalry, for dislike, for hatred, if you like, in British boxing is definitely the two fights between Nigel Benn and Chris Eubank um, in November 1990 and October 1993. They fought at middleweight and they fought at super middleweight around the same time. So they became both rivals on the domestic scene and the world scene. When you look at domestic rivalries, there was genuine hate and disdain at their prime as well. So what we had was two phenomenal fights. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting and introducing to you in the blue corner, Chris Eubank! And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent in the red corner, the WBO middleweight champion of the world, Ben suffered a ninth round KO loss to Eubank in their first meeting in November 1990 at Birmingham's NEC Arena. Ben is shaking. The eyes wash red. Let's look at the finish of the belt. It's over in the ninth round. Before their controversial draw, three years later at Old Trafford. 114 to 114, even a draw. Yes, it's a draw. Well, Gareth A. Davis with his memories. Both men put everything on the line. And what we got, of course, were two classics, an amazing super middleweight rivalry and middleweight rivalry between the two fighters. Frank Warren remembers the famous Ben Eubank rivalry. There was no love lost there between them two. I know they've made it up since, but there certainly was no love lost there at all. I mean, no love they lost. Interestingly, Eubank and Ben, the fiercest of rivalries, later put aside their differences and became friends. Can you believe they even toured together? Nigel Ben. The dust has settled and now we, we're just, you know, we're, we're good friends. I, I could say we hold no animosity towards Chris. I think, you know, I, I think I'm just thank God that he brought me, brought Chris in my career. I've had a, I've had a blessed life because of Chris and I, I, I can't fault him. Taylor and Christie later apologised to each other. Frotch and Groves made up and often appear in the media together. Former super middleweight world champion, the Cobra, Cole Frotch. If you're normal, and I like to think I'm normal, you can find it in your heart to, you know, become friends with somebody and, and let bygones be bygones and just look at the positives and say, listen, we were really, really good for each other. We made a lot of money. We had a great career. And me and him get on. David Hay even ended up as Derek Jazora's manager. Who saw that coming? Definitely not me. Former world title contender, Derek Jazora. I like David, but he was just, I was just annoyed that day. I was just pissed off. I was like, mm. oh, that's David. Yeah. I'm created hype, created a fight, and I was just, was just pointing out to this trainer and get the fight rolling. Mm. That was it. It does beg the question, doesn't it? Is all this bad blood just a load of nonsense? Gareth A. Davis. So many grudge fights in the past. Years later, the boxers make up and make friends because they've settled their differences. They have a respect for each other that maybe they didn't have before. And that's one of the fascinating things about when people have a grudge fight. 
they can air that grudge. It's a great way. It's a great way for them to air that grievance, to have a fight that everybody's going to watch, whether they win, lose or draw. Well, let's hear the thoughts of legendary boxing writer Colin Hart. You know, fighters don't have to love each other. And it's better if the pre-publicity can turn it into a grudge match. But once that fight is over, there's always a mutual respect between the fighters and they end up, I won't say the best of pals, but respecting each other and congratulating each other at the end of the fight. So it seems bad blood is real. Well, at the time anyway. But some bad blood does not go away. As Tony Bellew remembers after his two scraps with Nathan Cleverly. With Nathan Cleverly, it was more personal and I really did not like him. Uh, I still don't like him to this day. I don't wish any bad or malice on him. I just don't like him as a person. After the second fight happened, I invited him into my dressing room, just me and him on our own. I emptied my dressing room and said, go and bring him in. And listen, I'm not going to lie, there could have been a third fight in that dressing room. But one thing I can guarantee is if we were to bump into each other tomorrow, there's a chance it's going off. It's happening in the street. There's just a chance of that because... He doesn't like me and I don't like him. But that's not the only rivalry that lasts. His legendary boxing writer, Colin Hart. Fazier bore a grudge against Ali to the day he died. What really hurt Fazier is that here is this man he helped when he was in trouble, in exile, and yet Ali kept referring to him as an Uncle Tom. And everybody who knows anything about race in America knows that the worst insult you could level against a black man is to call him an Uncle Tom. Ali did it instantly. And I shall never forget the 1996 Olympics. And uh, Ali, as you know, lit the flame. And he was, because of his Parkinson's, his hand was shaking like a leaf as he lit the flame. And the following morning, Fazio was on a chat show and I was watching. And the interviewer said to Fazio, Words to the effect, wasn't it moving last night to see Ali light the flame? And without even thinking, Fraser said, yeah, they should have thrown him in it. And uh, he meant it. So there you have it. You've heard my favourite volatile build-ups. And we've had a look into the minds of some of these warriors. Bad blood in boxing is a real thing. When one man stands in the way of another man's dreams and aspirations, there are always going to be tensions. And when the primary route to victory is controlled by violence, well, you're going to get confrontation. Next Saturday, February the 19th, TalkSport brings you exclusive radio commentary of Amir Khan versus Kel Brook. The inspiration behind this programme and the next fight that will certainly go down in history as a bad blood fight. I'm Spencer Oliver, and you've been listening to Bad Blood, boxing's most fierce rivalries on TalkSport. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.